This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Monday, March 6, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home staff writer and box office analyst Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, everyone. How's it going? It's Monday. So, and Ryan, you were here. So you were obviously, we're going to talk about box office. And I know last week you were kind of super down on Ant-Man and what that meant for, you know, Marvel and Disney. And uh, I mean, obviously things are looking better this week, right? <laughs> looking better if uh, if your movie <laughs> has the word Creed in the title or if your name is Jonathan Majors. Um uh... So real quick, uh, uh, Creed three opened this weekend. Uh, absolutely demolished projections. Uh, opened to fifty eight point six million dollars. That is the best for any Rocky movie, uh, and this one does not have Sylvester Stallone in it. Um, Michael B. Jordan's feature directorial debut. Um, uh, reviews have been great. I mean, what more can you say? It a uh, uh, hundred million worldwide opening. So you know another. Uh, almost 42 million um, from international territories. So my only thing with this one is it, is it had a $75 million budget, which is a little more than I would like to see for this kind of movie. But, but given how well it opened, I expect that won't be a problem. Um, but st- I mean, just phenomenal, you know, numbers there, but uh, that definitely took some thunder away from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is entering its third weekend. And if anyone listened last week, you'll recall that, the movie had the worst second weekend drop ever for a Marvel film at nearly 70%, one of the worst ever for a blockbuster. Um, and uh, it fell hard again this week. Another 61% it tumbled. It actually lost 520 screens, which is pretty unheard of for a Marvel movie in its third week. Only made 12.4 million this weekend. Uh, wow. Currently stands at 419.5 million worldwide. Um the the way it's going we're looking at this finishing around 500 million worldwide it probably gonna end up being the lowest grossing ant-man movie um as the competition only gets more fierce in the coming weeks we have scream six this weekend following weekend we have shazam fury of the gods n65 opening up and then you've got john wick three coming down the pipeline i mean you know and those and a lot of those are going to travel well worldwide so ant-man's already going to be running out of gas in the tank here shortly. So, um, you know, it's pretty brutal. I had that big opening weekend, but I think that's almost more concerning now, just how front loaded it was. Um, 
And considering that this one had around a $200 million budget uh, and will not break even in its theatrical run uh, and, and will end up making less than the first two Ant-Man movies. It's bad. Um, not a good, you know, first phase five movie, not a great look. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, uh, I know it's just one movie, but this has been part of a, a bit of a trend here for Marvel. Um, the pandemic is certainly to blame for some, some of it, but in general, the reviews have been trending down. The general response from moviegoers has been trending down a bit and the, the legs on these movies are, are going down a bit. And some of that is because China's not on the table in the way that it used to be. And, you know, Russia is no longer really in play due to global events. So, you know, you take that coupled with, you know, the, the general moviegoer response here and you kind of have a bit, bit of a, bit of a rough situation. It looks like. Yeah. I mean, we also have to say that the, the climax of the infinity saga happened right before the pandemic. Uh, so I feel like all the people that were invested in that, like, it's kind of like starting over again with this, uh, you know, phase four, five, and six, but it, it doesn't even seem like until now that they've even started to build on what that phase is leading to, you know, uh, obviously here with the introduction of King, we know is, is a big deal, but I'm, I'm just trying to find uh, story reasons for people, the fatigue other than like the, the, the headline story that, you know, people are fatigued with the Marvel stuff. Well, look, I don't think people are fatigued with Marvel in general. I just think that, or I don't think they would have to be. Let me put it that way, because we yeah. saw what happened with No Way Home, right? Like you had a resoundingly great movie that did really great numbers. Um, I think the response to Wakanda Forever was pretty good. I know you and I didn't love it, but like, you know, I think that that movie did pretty well considering, but like, I think Multiverse of Madness, like, you know, did really well worldwide, even though it had that pretty hefty second weekend drop. But I think you got to look at stuff like Thor Love and Thunder. You got to look at Eternals. You've got to look at these things that, you know, um, are kind of, are kind of the ones where you're seeing the signs of, of, uh, audience sort of saying like, eh, okay. You know, cause like you got to the fourth Thor movie, people are like, okay, I think I get it now. And then like, you're seeing like Eternals attempting to launch a new franchise, not really working. Um, you know, so I think that, that Marvel definitely has some things to address. It's not necessarily time to hit the panic button yet, but you know, you can only continue to trend downward for so long before you get to an Avengers movie and you have a problem. And the other thing is the budgets keep going up for these, not down. So when your box office returns are going down, but your budgets are going up, you are heading toward a bad place. Um, so, you know, that is a consideration as well. Yeah. It's also interesting, uh, you know, outside of the movie space, Disney has kind of invested hugely in the Ant-Man franchise, like in the theme parks, like, you know, they have Pim's Test Kitchen is like the the big eatery that's where they turned uh, the food uh small food into big food and big food into small food is that and good by the way i never got to go to avengers campus is it is it is it good it is and it's some of it's surprisingly good some of it's uh, surprisingly bad uh but it, all of it is kind of fun because you know you have like a you know huge like one foot pretzel that has obviously when you go walk in there it's been enlarged and they, they have all sorts of like fun things like that uh but even on the on the cruise ships the the marvel eatery on the new disney wish is you know stars ant-man and the wasp on like you know they had paul rudd and even uh, even 
what's her name? Uh, Lily. Yeah. Uh, they had uh, both of the actors record scenes that like play out over the dinner and like you're actually involved in the story. But it's just like I, I wonder is Marvel I, I'm guessing there was a budget concern. Like they couldn't get like Robert Downey Jr. or you know, like a uh or I don't know. They probably wanted to invest in in, in Avengers that were gonna be here for years to come too. But I wonder do you think that they are at this point like worried that they they built all this stuff around Ant Man? I don't know if they because I, I don't know how much they built around Ant Man other yeah. than this movie, right? But I do think yeah. they must be wondering. Now, here's the one thing I will say. First off, I think it is fair that Peyton Reed, Paul Rudd, and the rest of that cast said, "Hey, I think we've earned a bigger movie, right?" We've earned, you know, we had these smaller scale adventures, but, you know, Ant-Man was a huge part of Endgame. And I think that maybe, yeah, they earned some cachet. I think that it doesn't hurt that the critical response has been a bit mixed and that, you know, while audiences seem to be responding better, it's clear that your average moviegoer is is not responding as well, given the declines. But I will say I, I have to wonder if they're not rethinking the decision to make Quantumania the first thing of phase five, this huge introduction for Kang, because now, you know, now you're going to have to explain that stuff elsewhere because you can't assume everyone has seen this movie. Now I do understand someone pointed out to us last week that like with Eternals, Eternals was the most streamed superhero movie last year. A ton of people watched that on Disney plus. So a ton of people are going to watch this on Disney plus, but again, you know, are you actually getting through to that average moviegoer who is going to turn up to, you know, Kang dynasty, not having seen half these movies? I don't know. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I wonder if, if Marvel would reconsider that decision. I'm not sure. I, I, Kevin Feige is a brilliant man and, uh, and, you know, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a little clear to me that they, that they've got to shift strategy a bit, but that's complicated for them because they plan years ahead. They've got tons of stuff <laughs> in the pipeline. You know, you can't really course correct when you have the next five projects already in development or, or filmed. So, you know, that makes it challenging to sort of write the ship. Okay, let's uh, switch gears to the other side of Disney's galaxy, the galaxy far, far away. We're talking about Star Wars. We have a couple stories I wanted to talk about. So last week, Star Wars Rebels voice actor Freddie Prince Jr. appeared on the Lights, Camera, Barstool uh, podcast or YouTube. It's in video form, too. So I think it's the oh, we're going to call it a podcast. And uh, Prince Jr., uh, Revealed some information that I had, I and many other people had never heard before. He said uh, he wasn't sure if he was allowed to reveal this information. And he revealed that Dave Filoni, the guy that's been responsible for the Clone Wars, uh, you know, he's been behind The Mandalorian, yeah, Ahsoka, all that stuff, um, and Star Wars Rebels, of course. He worked with him in Star Wars Rebels. He said that Dave Filoni directed that scene at the end of Rogue One, the one where Vader comes through and you basically see what's going to happen in A New Hope is is how he put it. Uh, not only that, but Prince Jr. said that Filoni also recast the actor who was in the Darth Vader suit. The reasoning, as Prince Jr. explained, uh, quote, Darth Vader doesn't talk with his hands, but this one clearly does. And uh, so, so Filoni was in charge of uh, recasting the role. Uh, it, now, first of all, on the surface here, this is cool, cool news that we never knew because we obviously uh, Gareth Edwards uh, directed Rogue One. Notoriously, there was reshoots that uh, were under the the 
I mean, they were it, it was rewritten by uh, Andor uh, showrunner uh, Gilroy, and you know we, we we don't even know what happened with the, with the reshoots. Like, there's been so much talk, but then this report gets published, and then on Sunday. We have Rogue One screenwriter Gary Witta coming on Twitter and saying Freddie Prince Jr.'s claim about Dave Filoni directing the Darth Vader scene is completely false, he says. Uh, editor Kevin Hickman has previously said the scene was, quote, was not in the original shoot, but rather was something that one of the filmmakers thought, oh, why don't we tie in Darth Vader somehow? And then later, uh, I think on uh, Sunday as well, the rap reporter Umberto Gonzalez says that Filoni was involved creatively, but the scene was actually shot by second unit director Simon Crane. And uh, I was contacted by uh, someone who claimed to be on set, uh, 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 I'll say a, a filmmaker, who claimed to be upset that said that Edwards was the one that directed the scene, not Simon Crane. So I don't know what's going on here. What, what do you make out of, uh, out of all this, Ryan? Jesus. Uh, I was a little busy this weekend. I missed some of that. <laughs> Holy crap. Well, because I heard the Filoni thing, and I'm like, that would actually kind of make sense. But like, my God. So the other thing I guess that's worth pointing out is Pablo Hidalgo, who is the head of Lucasfilm Story Group, posted uh he kind of was trying to address this indirectly he's like if anyone's curious gareth edwards also shot the big vader and krennic scene in july 2016 at black hanger studios as a pickup um and you know posted some stuff and then someone asked him uh what do you think about the whole discussion you know the controversy about tony gilroy owning the credit for fixing the mess and then uh hidalgo said i don't really follow star wars discourse unless it lands directly in my feed so i can't really add much to it I think it was a big, complicated project, and a lot of people collaborated to make it work best. And in my estimation, Gareth deserves the screen credit he got. Um, boy, if that wasn't a diplomatic answer. Uh, but um, uh, but again, I I, I, I talked to a filmmaker uh, who claims to have been in the room when this scene was shot and said that Gareth deserves the credit. So I don't know. Right, and, and, and I think... Again, the one thing that's always confused me is that it, it Gareth Edwards has not made a movie since Rogue One. You know, which is which is I, I to yeah. me has always seemed like the most telling thing, right? He made Godzilla, then he made a billion dollar Star Wars movie and hasn't made a movie since. I, I don't know was what I, <laughs> I, I I don't know. That seems that's that's always been hard for me to believe. Was that his choice? I don't know. But like yeah. but so yeah, this is weird. It's weird for sure. And I think that, like, the only thing we can say definitively is that Tony Gilroy, who came in to oversee those reshoots and rewrites, made one hell of a Star Wars show with Andor. So I don't know. I don't think we'll ever know um, unless there's some tell-all book or something. But I think it, it it does at least seem like Filoni was definitely involved in some way. Maybe he didn't direct it, but um, I don't know. Pretty interesting. Uh, it, it's increasingly amazing that Rogue One is as good as it was because it seems like it was it was a real mess behind the scenes. I've been saying this for years. I can't wait, you know, 10, 20 years down the line when we have the tell-all book telling the story of what happened behind the scenes of like this Disney, you know, the sequel trilogy era of Star Wars. Not just the sequel trilogy, but, you know, obviously Rogue One, Solo, there's a lot of juicy behind the scenes details that I would love to know of, you know, what went into these, these films, these projects. I, I really hope that there's a couple of tell all books I want. I want 
the like post Force Awakens Lucasfilm air like like up through Rise of Skywalker. I want to tell all book about that. And then I want the post Man of Steel through Justice League tell all DC book. Like those are two that I would line up and pay exorbitant amounts of money for. I, I would also pay a lot of, I, I'd pay like, did you see that new uh, Shining book from Tashin that uh, we own for yeah, yeah. It's like over a thousand dollars. It's it, it, insane amount. Like it, it's insane. I would pay Tashin prices for, for these books, right? <laughs> that's, that's how, how badly I would, I, I would like to see them come into fruition. Uh, maybe, maybe someday, like how many years do you think we have to be away from this? How many years, uh, like, I, I feel like, you know, Kathleen Kenny will have to retired by the time this happens, right? Because no one's going to come out and say anything while she's still, ha- not, not saying that, you know, not painting her out to be the, you know, what's going on, like, when you, when you read the forums and YouTube channel. But I just feel like you, you need some space where, where it's a new leadership for people to start talking enough to be a book. Right. Right. But I, but I also wonder, like, this is one of those ones. Cause I heard a, I heard a, a, a I don't know if it's a rumor or whatever, but a very uh, well-respected author has like a finished force awakens book that Lucasfilm essentially won't let allow to be released. I'd kind of yeah. heard something about that. Like, I, I don't know. But so I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It would probably have to take quite some time and pretty much like enough distance where Lucasfilm couldn't block it. You know, like someone who got quotes off the record and things like that, where, you know, it wouldn't be like through cooperation officially of Lucasfilm or anything like that. You know, it would have to be something like that. But we'll yeah. see. I don't know. I think it's the, inevitable, but not anytime soon. Yeah. And the author you're talking about is uh, Rinsler, who did the the making of Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, those big books that um, are so incredible. He was, but I feel like, you know, he would have never been able to make those books when Star Wars was just coming out, right? Like, you need, (laughs) well, you need someone insane like George Lucas to, like, allow people to tell the stories, (laughs) or you need, I don't know, you need the the, the space of uh, time uh, for for people to tell the stories. But, uh, you know, I'm excited for them to be told at some point. Uh, I want to talk about one other Star Wars thing. Uh, you wrote up the story for the site. Dave Filoni was asked about Grogu and where he was during the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Uh, what did Filoni say? What was his answer? Yeah, so this is an interesting one because Filoni uh, is, if people don't know the name, um, and we've talked about him quite a bit today, uh, he is the guy behind the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, so he has actually made a, a an impressive career in Star Wars, uh, sort of working in the lines, right? He made seven seasons worth of TV that exists between Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones. That's, you know, that's where he's working. So uh, he was asked about, you know, hey, where, where was Grogu during the sequel trilogy? And his answer was, that's a question for a bunch of characters, by the way, not just Grogu. Grogu. Where are they during these events? If anything, having made the Clone Wars and weaving a tale so intricately intricately between two movies that were much closer together, I've learned that there's an expansive room in the galaxy for us to tell stories and have characters doing things. He went on to say, As a kid, when Yoda said, When gone am I, the last Jedi you will be to Luke, I took that very literally. Well, now we know that's anything but true. 
There are many different people that could wield the force. And maybe <laughs> Luke is just the last Jedi as far as what Yoda would consider a Jedi. So we'll just have to wait and see how the story evolves and what makes sense. But in my experience, there's definitely a way to weave everything together and make it exciting. It's possible that it would never even have to cross over with what we saw in the sequel trilogy if the story has us somewhere else. So kind of a lot of words to say. <laughs> to say it's possible. To say, look, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But it's right. certainly possible is what he's saying. But, but he does have a good point in that you you do have these questions with a lot of characters. Where was Cal Kestis, the guy, you know, the, the Jedi we meet in uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order? Where was Ahsoka during some of these events? Where You know, there are a lot of characters that have come up over the years that, yeah, you have questions about. He's not wrong. Yeah. And I, the, the other thing we got to say is, like, you know, when when they're talking about in the original trilogy, when they're talking about uh, Luke being, or, I mean, even in the title of the, I guess the sequel trilogy, uh, uh, the, the, the second episode, the, the last Jedi um, there, Luke was still at least in Canon at this point is still the last Jedi. Like, you know, uh, Ahsoka kind of give, gave away the, you know, walked away from the Jedi order. Uh, Grogu, if he is still alive during that time, which he should be based on his age unless he gets killed, uh, never became a Jedi, right? Like, he he was a Padawan, but, like, he was never, uh, you know, got the braid and all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's a lot of, like, uh, loopholes, I guess is what I'm saying in, in Star Wars. Right, and, and, and again, it's like, but the other thing is that, you know, one thing that I don't love that Star Wars does sometimes is it makes the galaxy feel very small, right? You know, so much happens on Tatooine. Like, how the hell does Mando end up with R5-D4? <laughs> you know, just like, but, but, but it is a big-ass galaxy. Um, and, uh, you know, so th there could be much going on that, that needs tending to. And, like, that was one of the things I actually really liked in Avengers Endgame, where everyone's like, you know, to Captain Marvel, they were like, where the hell were you? She's like, hey, it's a big galaxy, and they don't all have you. You know, and, and so, you know, like, and so it was just one line where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, other uh, fair enough. Um, so, you know, I do I do think that there is absolutely an explanation that that could lead us to understand why Grogu wasn't around. But Dave Filoni is a guy who's come up with a lot of good answers for these things in the past. So I trust him to do that. Me, too. OK, uh, we're going to take a quick, quick, quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, uh, let's talk about Marvel. Let's go back to Marvel for a second. Uh, you wrote up another article for the site, and this is how is this how Disney gets the rights back for for Hulk and Namor from Universal? So, if people don't know, uh, Universal just like uh, Sony owns the rights for the Spider Verse. Universal owns the rights for Hulk in a. Uh, I guess is Namor the only other character they. You know what's weird is it's not super duper clear because the Namor thing wasn't even cleared up until Wakanda Forever came out. Um, so here's the deal. It's not quite the same as Sony. Sony outright owns the screen rights to Spider-Man. Um, but they made a deal with Disney so that Tom Holland Spider-Man could show up in the MCU, but they did not have to do that. Uh, Universal, on the other hand, owns the solo movie rights for hulk and namor at least if not other characters that we are unaware of um whereas disney can use them freely in team-up movies which is why we've had hulk uh in in team-up movies ever since the incredible hulk in 2008 and why namor 
was introduced in Black Panther Wakanda Forever and not individually or why a Namor movie cannot be made right now other than that. So um, look, this is uh, here's the thing. This is a very speculative thing, but uh, go on this journey with uh, if you will uh, with me for a moment. So uh, what happens? uh, Disney controls all of Hulu right now. They outright own two thirds of it. Thanks to the Fox acquisition in 2019. They, have a deal in place with comcast because comcast was essentially screwed because they they didn't have they only had one third stake so they would get overruled in anything because of disney so disney has a deal with comcast where they control all of hulu but in 2024 disney either has to buy all of hulu like the remaining third from comcast for at least 27.5 billion or sell it to someone else all right so then uh, as reported by the rep a Wall Street analyst who works for a city named uh, Jason Bazinet uh, had an interesting proposal. Uh, he proposes that Disney could use this Hulu situation as an opportunity to get the rights back to Hulk and Namor, uh, suggesting that who Disney could look to offload Hulu since they have Disney Plus and you know, they may not want to invest all those billions in another in a secondary service. So let's say Comcast wanted to buy all of Hulu. Uh, and that would give them a much better streaming service than they currently have with Peacock. Well, then Disney could use the remaining Marvel rights, which Comcast is not making use of anyway, as part of a bargaining chip to get that done. Hmm. Um. So you know that, and and now you might be like, oh, that's kind of speculative. That seems like. Well, let us not forget that this sort of thing has happened before. Uh, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was in Universal's control for uh, something like 80 years. Uh, it was one of the first characters ever created by Walt Disney. Uh, and because Walt and Universal and uh, the producer at the time uh, couldn't uh, come up with a, uh, a parting ways of the rights, Universal retained Walt's creation. And years and years later in 2006, Bob Iger managed to wrangle a deal with wouldn't you know it nbc universal uh which is owned by comcast and they kind of traded sportscaster <laughs> al michaels for oswald the lucky rabbit it's not as simple as that but that was part of the deal like uh, al michaels wanted out of his contract with disney and and uh, after disney bought the rights to espn's monday night football and they kind of traded al michaels for oswald so uh, oddly enough a rights thing has sort of changed hands with these companies before so this to say there is a path to it um and a plausible one at that okay but we we don't know that that uh, comcast wants hulu no we don't know that comcast wants hulu but uh we've talked uh, for regular listeners of the podcast you've heard me moan quite a bit about how peacock is in a real bad position um so Comcast owns NBC Universal, as in NBC and Universal Pictures. Um, that that is Peacock is their big streaming service right now. Peacock is bleeding billions, and they have almost no chance at getting enough subscribers to become profitable. Hulu, on the other hand, is a very well known streaming service with a lot of subscribers and good upside potential. So if, if, if Comcast wants to stay in the streaming game and have a better shot at long-term success, Hulu would be a better option for them. Disney, meanwhile, could get those Marvel rights, fold most of their streaming into Disney+, and get billions in the deal for selling Hulu. 
it would be a win-win for both sides. And this is something that is very possible. So no, we don't know that for sure, but it's a possible outcome. Hmm. Okay. Well, that, that'll be interesting. We'll put a pin in that and see if it happens. Uh, I would, it would be, it would, you know, I'd love for the rights to Hulk to return so that he could be a starring character and not just a, co- a co-starring character. Well, right. A- and if you look at, you know, those rights changing hands, let's say it happened, it would happen at some point next year in 2024. Right. So y- you would in theory be leading up to the end of phase five at that point like sort of getting to the end of, you know, this Kang dynasty secret wars. So then maybe whenever that's all over, you could then, you know, position Hulk as a main character for whatever comes next, you know, be it in a rebooted version or something, but that would be an A-list character that hasn't been at the forefront for a while. So that could be an interesting thing to do. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, green skinned superheroes this morning, the trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem was released. This is the, the animated film coming from Nickelodeon and uh, I think the trailer says permanent teenager Seth Rogen. And uh, I, I wanted to mention this. I wanted people to this be on people's radar. Go check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, but I wanted to talk with you, Ryan, about this. Did you get to see the trailer? Uh, also, I just before I. Uh, yes, I did see the trailer. That was like an A plus transition, by the way. The the green skinned superhero. Good for you. <laughs> Uh, Thank you. A real pro move. Um, yeah, I did see this trailer. Uh, boy, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse sure did have some influence, didn't it? Um, uh, 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 man, oh man, uh, that movie, we might look back on that in a few more years and be like, boy, that might have been one of the more influential movies of the last decade. Um, but I think this looks great. I I love the Ninja Turtles and boy, does this look like what I've been waiting for. This looks great. Yeah, to me, it looks like the, you know, Seth Rogen went in there and pitched this movie and was like, what if Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but Spider-Verse? And they were like, yes. (laughs) Uh, But they also uh, revealed some of the cast, which includes uh, Jackie Chan as Splinter, which I love. The cast is crazy. The the cast is absolutely insane. Like, they, they listed off the whole cast. Like, they have Rose Byrne as Leatherhead. Um, Ice Cube as Superfly. Yeah, they're they're like they 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 went a list on the cast. I also like that the the turtles. Oh, John are, Cena as Rocksteady. That is John Cena, and then Seth Rogen's Bebop. Um, yeah. I also like that the turtles are young, like you know, because I feel like a lot of time we see them, they're like you know young adults, and you know they've kind of been in it for a bit. Like, so I do like that we're sort of seeing teenage turtles. Uh, I yeah. think that's cool. And I also the one the other thing I like is that. Shred, like unlike other superheroes that have existed for years and years and years like in the public eye like the ninja turtles have like two villains people know and it's shredder and krang like that's it you know so like so it's kind of cool that we actually don't really see shredder like it doesn't look like they're leaning on shredder yeah. as the well, main. well villain. they have baxter stockman who is uh gene carlo esposito who you know from breaking bad and other things uh who's a brilliant casting if you've if you've watched the ninja troll cartoons you know that baxter stockman he creates those um oh my god what are those robots called i'm blanking i've watched teenage ninja but, turtles in but yeah 20 years but, but it seems like they're they're laying seeds for like okay if this turns into like a franchise where planting seeds for villains for the future a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Baxter stock stockman was a mad scientist 
who became an enemy. He he kind of like transformed into this like fly like uh thing, like uh, alien kind of thing. And uh, wait, what were the? Uh, he, he created like these little robots. I forget what the robots were. People are probably yelling at their. Yeah, um, they're screaming. Uh, but but uh, yeah. I so what's weird? I talked so years ago. I was at Phoenix Comic Con, and I this was when my career was kind of just getting underway, and I uh, I was Mausers. Sorry, Mausers. Yes. Yeah. But, sorry. But but so, no no you're fine no but so I was asked to be a guest uh like an expert at a at a panel that was all about the history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And one of the interesting things that I sort of put forth is that like there's like definitive versions of so many comics or so many big pop culture things. What's interesting about the Ninja Turtles is that like you have the Kevin Eastman comics, which were a riff on Daredevil and they were very dark and black and white and gritty. And then you have the animated series, which was not that, which was a lot of people's entry point. And then you had the the early films and then you had the IDW comics and you had all these different things where depending on how you came into Ninja Turtles, your view of what the definitive Ninja Turtles are is going to be very different from someone else's view on what the definitive Ninja Turtles are. So like it, it does sort of create this interesting path for creators to be like, what version of this do we want to try to put forth? So I do think that's an interesting thing. And, and so like, yeah, you might have people that are yelling at you that watch the animated series, but then you might have other people that are more fans of the Kevin Eastman comics that don't care. Um, it's very yeah. interesting. And it's also interesting. Some of the other characters that they've included in here, like uh, Paul Rudd is Mondo Gecko, who is this like uh, mutant gecko who skateboards. And he wasn't a major character in uh, the comics or the cartoon series. So it's uh, I, I think they're doing what you're saying. They're they're being like what, what have the other Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies not done? What have they not shown? You know what what unmined materially? You know let's not repeat. Do do you think they're going to repeat the origin story? Uh, I it seems like they're going to have to touch on it, but I don't yeah. think it's going to be like because I think the idea is that you're looking at them in their adolescence, right? So you want that to be the focus. You don't want to rehash the, like they, 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 they make a big ooze joke in there. Of course they're going to touch on it. But I, again, I don't think it's not going to be like from, you know, the beginning of the movie is going to be them getting spilled. I think, I think we're going to gloss over. I think it's one of those things like Spider-Man at this point, people sort of know. And also yeah. the, the, the Ninja Turtles origin story is not that complicated. They got like, green ooze spilled on them and they're mutant turtles okay great let's move on like you don't necessarily need to spend a lot of time with that um so yeah but i, I think it looks great i think the casting's great i think the people involved are great i think this is a really good way to go yeah and you know what else is great is the logo the logo is so 90s if it, it feels like something i drew in like my notebook while i was like in like middle school or something it's like so like hand-drawn uh the mutant ma'am is like this like i don't know it's so, so perfect I'm I'm so excited for this, and I I I hope it's even like one tenth of the level of what Spider Verse was. I, yeah, because I got to tell you, this is a movie that was on my radar this year, where I'm like, oh, this could be fun because I I really like the Ninja Turtles a lot. And then yeah. and then man, when they announced that cast over the weekend, I was like, I got that like excited bubble in my stomach where I was like, oh hell yeah! And I just like <laughs> and I just like got so amped and um yeah, I think I think this could be like one of those ones that sneaks up on us this year and and uh, you know delivers the goods okay you can read more about all the stories mentioned on today's podcast links in the show notes you can find this podcast slash film daily every weekday on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please send us your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slash film.com and please rate and read this podcast and apple podcast tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you tomorrow
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.